Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome again to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Donald Mazzella, and I'm Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. We come to you through three media channels, here at Blog Talk Radio, through our online newsletters, and via our magazine. They are all now available to you at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Each month we touch more than one million small business leaders through our various channels. Each hour here at Small Business Digest Radio, we hope to bring you information, strategies, and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our our guests are carefully chosen for their expertise or experience. They do not pay to be on this program, but rather our editors and readers identify them. They also identify the topics of possible interest to our audience. If you have any suggestions or particular topics you want us to cover, cover, please email us at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. Tonight's program, like all our efforts, have a wide diversity of guests talking about the topics we think you want to hear. We will will talk about Obamacare, fraud uh, hitting small businesses, uh, better communications, cloud uses, tips, and more. Uh, Without further ado, and thanks for our comments from the uh, control room, we have Greg Jones, CEO of Bookkeeping Express. Uh, Greg's been on this program. He's, by the way, the first person we've had on twice, but uh, he's uh, he, uh, here to talk about what, uh, what I consider one of the most uh, critical issues facing small business fraud, both internal and from external sources. Uh, be, uh, uh, before we introduce Greg, he's written a very fascinating article that you can find on uh, 2sbdigest.com slash internal hyphen theft hyphen fraud hyphen still hyphen rising. Um, it's, it's on our uh, current list. Um, and we strongly urge you, after you hear Greg, I think you'll want to read the article for further details. But without further ado, Greg Jones, please come in and join us. Donald, how are you this evening? I'm pretty good. Uh, we're having one of those uh, uh, evenings where people are calling in from all over, so that's a good sign. <laughs> that's a great sign. Excellent. Excellent. Uh so, uh, Greg, well, we always start off our guests by asking a little bit about themselves, uh, how they got to where they are, uh, and anything else you might want to share with our uh, listeners. Sure. I'd be happy to go back on um, memory lane a little bit here. I, I, After graduating from Penn State University, I got into big corporate telecoms uh, in that telecom space and, and spent about 15 years rising through the ranks and, and eventually taking over regions and districts for telecommunication firms. And at that point in time, I, I really made a decision to get out of big corporate America and, and really uh, go off on my own and, and start businesses. And, and fortunately, I had some great partners along the way as well. And uh, so we, we started businesses, sold businesses, uh, mainly in the telecom cost management space back in the 90s. And then after we sold that business uh, in the early 2000s, I really got intrigued by franchising and real estate, and those two actually combined, uh, if you know much about that. But uh, long story short, I, I got into franchise concepts as franchisee and, and, and participated within those systems and still do today. And also, I, I uh, got into the franchisor side, and I was uh, participating in a firm that helped organizations that had products and services that they wanted to franchise from scratch. So we would take them from the legality portion of of franchising and then to the sales and marketing and branding of that that concept and then bring in in franchisees from a sales perspective. So I've been on both sides of that franchise fence. And in 2007, uh, my partners and I, we invested in a firm called Bookkeeping Express, uh, 
which you announced uh, uh, sending that CEO. Um, and Bookkeeping Express is just a great concept. It, it really strikes home in many different areas, but in particular with the small business owners in the small business community and their financials or lack thereof. Uh, tracking, coordinating, monitoring, reading uh, the, the financials that their business is telling them. And, and it's really hit home. It's spreading like crazy, and we're utilizing technology to its fullest to help the small business community. So it's been a great, great, great venture for me. I'm, I'm so happy of it. In fact, uh, my title, CEO, is a little dated. I, I've moved. I was holding the CEO and chairman position. I've recently brought in a CEO to take over Bookkeeping Express's day-to-day. So I'm sitting as an active chairman and doing a lot of this, like I am with you, Donald, and creating opportunities and partnerships and, and expanding the, the, the sales organizations within Bookkeeping Express. So that's where it sits today. All right. Uh, I know our audience always likes to know a little bit about the people they're hearing. So now let's talk. To, uh, turn to the topic that uh, I consider very important, internal theft and fraud. And uh, uh, your thoughts and ideas. I turn the floor over to you. Well, theft and fraud. I mean, it's it's um, it's a scary thing for for a business owner, to say the least. You know, you're you're every day and and every week that you're you're driving your business, and in a lot of cases, it's not going well, and you're you're hustling and you're working fourteen, fifteen, sixteen hours a day, and you don't think that somebody, unfortunately, within your organization, would be doing things that would really bring your business down. And, and, and in a lot of cases, stealing from the business. But, uh, you know, every month it seems like you're reading about a business that has been taken advantage of by an internal employee. So it's it's, it's not going away. Uh, business owners have to protect themselves and, and should be thinking about it and how to protect themselves. And I guess that's really what, Donald, your your portion here is is all about. And I commend you for you know, the topic and reviewing it with your 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 uh, uh, listeners. So, uh, theft and fraud, unfortunately, in the small business, I'll focus on that because that's where we focus. Uh, it tends to be more in tune with the small business community because the small business owner, as I mentioned, is so busy trying to run that business, they don't take the checks and balances and put them in place to uh, avoid a theft or a fraud situation. Uh, and so the small business community has to wake up and have to has to realize that. And and the other sad part of it is a lot of the cases, and this is not Greg Jones, this is more statistical from the industries, that a, a, an individual employee that has been around the business for a long time tends to be the individual or individuals that will participate in a theft or, or fraud situation within the business, which is not only disheartening, but um, it, it's scary to a business owner because, you, you fr- frankly, you know, most people, at least that I know, have a trust factor and, and they believe in their employees, they believe in the business model, and they believe in the values and the uh, and everything else that goes into that business. But, uh, unfortunately, statistically, you'll have that person that's comfortable, that realizes how the business operates internally, and they take advantage of that. So you have to put checks and balances in place. Well, we're going to get that. We're going to get to that in one minute because I think that's uh, the real test. But um, uh, uh, the things that uh, uh, I've seen over the years are uh, the trusted employee, and it's oftentimes the employee you would never think uh, would steal that ends up being uh, the culprit. But, but and the worst fact about it is, uh, no matter how small the the, the uh, theft. Uh, the impact on the small business is greatly magnified because oftentimes a small business works on a smaller margin. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you're you're absolutely right. And, and unfortunately, that small portion that is taken or or as is part of the the illegal scenario within the business, it doesn't get caught for months and in some cases years. So that small portion that's being taken out um, can add up very, very quickly and over a very long period of time. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, statistically, again, this is uh, you know from the industry, you know, nearly 50% of the victims, you know, had not recovered any of the fraud losses either, right? Yeah. So 
you know, insult to injury right there. Well, okay. What can a small business do to prevent this from happening? What are your suggestions? Well, you have to, first of all, well, the obvious for me here, talking to your, your, your gang here, Donald, would be to implement an outside organization like a bookkeeping express. It's what we do. We're the check and balance for the business. We we you know we don't get insulted by uh, you know a, a move that the owner may make and, and a change that the owner may make like an employee would. We have the the business's best interest in mind. So we're a third party, check and balance. We do the books. We run everything through a reporting mechanism back to the owner, so it, it's very transparent, and and that owner can see what is happening within their business. Now, if you don't have a third party. What I would, you know, obviously uh, put in effect would be some type of check and balance within my own structure and my own participation, and I'd also keep things uncomfortable with regard to positions where you don't want somebody doing, uh, paying, the, you know, making payroll, cutting checks, working with the bank, you know, with deposits and 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 withdrawals. You don't want one person doing that. You want a couple people monitoring each other and cross-checking that internally within the business, right? The other thing you want to do is expense reports or uh, credit card usage. A, a trick that I've used in the past is that, you know, I've had them delivered to me first before anybody else in the business, you know, got hold of them so I could review it and, and then make sure that everything looks in tune. Uh, or, you know, things to look out for, inventory, you know, you see a loss of inventory without sales, that's kind of an obvious one. Um, or you, you see an individual employee, uh, the personality change uh, and, and kind of go sideways on you. Um, but, again, if you don't have anything in place to monitor any of that, then you're kind of in the dark, and unfortunately you're you're there to be taken advantage of. Well, you know, you, uh, I happen to have been involved a couple of years ago in, in a similar situation uh, where a trusted uh, bookkeeper at uh, 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 a firm that I happen to be working with, uh, um, and uh, I sensed there was something wrong, but uh, and, and suggested to the president uh, gently that uh, uh, she uh, uh, do some checking. And uh, uh, she was reluctant to uh, antagonize the, uh, the individual. Uh, that's often uh, in a small business. We work so closely together that we we have such intimate relationships. How does one handle that situation? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it it, it can be a sensitive situation. Um, I, I think that you know at least the way I've handled that type of scenario in the past is that, um, you know, change is not a bad thing. Uh, interaction of employees is not a bad thing. So if you have somebody that's sensitive, they've been doing this job for a long period of time, and you think that they may get their feathers ruffled a little bit by a, a, a change, then you got to sit down with that person and talk about the changes in uh, being put into effect because of the business. It's not about you or your personality, but for the good of the business. And I think you want to keep that person involved, but as you implement checks and balances, you know, any anybody in their right mind would understand that that's a good thing for a business. So somebody that gets off there, you know, really gets upset and goes in, in, a, in a, you know, a very insecure situation and, and starts blaming the owner for doing something like for the better of the company, then that's something's wrong with that in, in, in itself. So, you know, I handle it as, but look, let's. Everybody in the company needs to interact. Everybody in the company needs to understand what everybody else is doing, right? It's almost a training type of scenario that you can implement with that type of strategy. So you're cross-training people in the business. So if someone gets sick, or unfortunately someone has an accident and they're out for a long period of time, someone else can do that, do the job. So I think that's kind of the that's a soft, uh, uh, sound way from an HR standpoint of how to handle something like that. Um, Greg, do you have any uh, other thoughts, uh, closing thoughts for our audience? Um, and mention again your your uh, uh, Bookkeeping Express. Uh, but any closing thoughts you might have? 
No, I think the the only closing thought I have, Donald, is that you know to do nothing um, because you're too busy is not a good excuse. You know, you can always go outside and get help from a mentor or a coach or from a third party like a Bookkeeping Express and get uh, get results and get something implemented within the in, within the business to help protect. But you know, saying you're too busy to to look into it or Look, my employees would never do that. that that's kind of, you know, that, you're kidding yourself in a certain scenario, certain situation there. And I think for the best, for the long term, uh, what you want to do is protect your business. And that's the most important thing. It's not about, you know, it's not about personality. It's not about, it's about the business. And you got to put things in perspective with guarding that business. It's your lifeblood. It's, it's what you've got, you know, going for you at this period of time. And there's nothing more precious. So, you know, it's almost like a child, right? You wouldn't do anything to hurt your child. You want to protect it, and you'll do everything you can to protect it. And I think you got to take that same scenario with your business. Well, that, that's a darn good closing thought. Um, again, uh, bookkeepingexpress.com, is that your website? Have I got it right? Bookkeepingexpress.com, you got it, Donald. Okay, if they want to talk, uh, talk or email you, do you have a, uh, any email you can give out to them? Yeah, absolutely. You can reach me at uh, any time. I get them all 24-7 at gjones, J-O-N-E-S, at bookkeepingexpress.com. Or don't hesitate, you can phone me at 703-766-5757. We're located in the Washington, D.C. metro area, so we're East Coast time. Okay, Greg, uh, welcome back, and we'll hopefully see you again soon. All right, Donald. Thank you. Take care. You too. Uh, we're going right to our next guest who's been so patient hanging on. Uh, Aaron, are you on board? Aaron, are you on board? Okay. We're going to a commercial break while we, we uh Talk to our guest. Want to know more about health savings accounts for your company or yourself? Go to 2hsa.com and get a free employer's primer. Health savings accounts are a cost-effective way of offering health care benefits to your employees and yourself. HSAs build retirement funds for your employees, improve morale, and reduce your health care benefit costs. For a free employer guide to HSAs, go to 2 hsa.com that's to hsa.com we're back live here with zach friend uh zach are you on board now i am how are you great zach, it's great to be here well uh, we're glad you, we're glad you're on uh first thing we want to uh we always ask our guests is a little bit of their background. Well, what um tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh well, before last, we get into uh, the last decade or so I've been working with in uh public affairs and communications and and worked in the White House, worked for uh uh Senator Barack Obama in uh doing communications on his campaign. Worked for the Council of Economic Advisors of the White House, the Senate, and the House of Representatives, and was even the spokesperson for about a decade for a law enforcement agency. And uh, just this last week, I uh, released uh, my first book, which is on narrative messaging and communications, titled On Message. And a lot of it just focuses on how do you, uh, how does your company, how does your campaign, how does your small business create a narrative and a message that really can help them out, help sustain your brand and build your brand. Well, that's why we have you on the program. Some people say I don't communicate at all. Uh, uh, so, I'm not here uh, to, to, to get involved in your marriage there, Don. <laughs> well, that, the marriage is good. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, but there are other people that say I speak Swahili when I think I'm speaking English. But anyway... Um, uh, and uh, I've, I've read a little bit of your book, and uh, that, that, that's why you're here. And uh, certainly I don't think there's a president that's done a better job of being on message than Barack Obama. 
whether you agree with the message or not is immaterial. Uh, uh, and if you if uh, if you have some thoughts on that and um, how a small business can stay on message, we're all ears. Well, I think that, that there's an interesting life lesson for your, for business owners and entrepreneurs about. Uh, what the president's doing, and, and as you pointed out, whether you agree with him from a policy perspective or not is, a, is irrelevant, because what he really did was build a narrative, a story about himself that has been able to withstand the test of very difficult political times, as evidenced by the fact that he won re-election even in the face of a very difficult economic climate, very difficult social climate, and, and a lot of disagreement politically he really was able to show that he created a narrative about himself as a change agent, which was reinforced in his own personal history, obviously. I mean, where he was born in Hawaii, where he was raised. I mean, he didn't exactly come out of central casting to run for president. And, and businesses need to do the same. One of the things that businesses think is that I just need to create a tagline for my business, or I just need to do better at branding, or I just need to do better at social media. But those are tactics. They're not a strategy. In essence, it's information versus influence. You need to create an underlying, emotionally compelling story about your brand that allows all of those other elements to build from it. Uh, some examples from the book include Southwest Airlines, for example. I mean, there's no question that Southwest Airlines has been working hard to define themselves in their story as an airline that's different from the other airlines. They're not a legacy carrier. I mean, they only serve you peanuts. they got low fares. They don't have the baggage, fee, baggage fees, etc., that storyline about them has withstood the test of time financially. They have differentiated themselves from the pack. Apple, the same thing. I mean, Apple created a very loyal customer base. You know, think different. They wanted to, and people were very emotionally connected to them. I mean, look at what just happened with the new iPhones coming out, right? I mean, people are waiting out the door. They don't do that for a Dell computer, right? Things that don't have, or the next Microsoft release. They have built this narrative about themselves that is so strong that everything else comes from that. And that's the number one thing that I think businesses need to focus on. Or, and you see it so much in politics, that the individual story that people tell about themselves and how everything builds from that. Yeah, yeah um, that's very true. But uh, the average small business person doesn't really, uh, in many cases, look at themselves as having a story. They either produce a product or produce a service. And uh, how do you get them to look inward and find the story? Because there's a story for the reason why you started a business. I mean, if you look at, um, say you're just a small local business owner and you're taking on Amazon.com, and you've got a very easy sort of David versus Goliath story. You believe in local businesses. You believe in personal commitment. You believe that you can do it better than the other guy. You didn't just start a business because you didn't think that you could do a better job than somebody else. You had to believe that you had a unique skill set, you had a unique uh, history or whatever it may be. So there is a story there, and there's a story to be told. That passion that you need to tap into uh, really does build from it. I think where businesses or even, as you mentioned, these small business owners fail at recognizing is it isn't just simply about just throwing out an advertisement or throwing out that tagline because people want to connect to some portion of your business, even if all you're doing is just a supply chain management component. Why is it that the local hotel should use you? Well, they want to believe in that personal individual person. Your integrity, your reliability, or what your passion about that product is what they want to tap into, and then every other component should build from that. Okay, that's what you should do. How do you do it? <laughs> well, I think that, that the easiest way to build a narrative is, is to think about it in this way, that it needs to be simple, it needs to be emotional, and it's unfortunate I have to tell you this, but it has to be true. Uh, it's common for people to make stories up, and, and since I've existed enough in the world of politics, believe me, I know that people are good at making things up. But it just needs to meet those three criteria. It needs to be simple, emotional, and true. And if you think about a good story, I mean, you think about a good movie you re you've watched or a good book you've read, they have components that are pretty common, which is this this struggle, this challenge, and this resolution. And if you think about, once again, the local small business owner, the bookstore, I mean, their struggle and their challenge is going up against is this David versus Goliath. Uh, they are the ones who are trying to keep prices low against this competitive pricing uh, monster, as, as it were. And, and how do you 
engage in that struggle, get the user, meaning the local constituents here, to, to be a part of that challenge with you. And the resolution is, is assumedly sales, right, and loyalty, people that are maybe willing to pay a couple extra dollars in order to support their local business, and the story you tell of why that's important that they support their local business. So if they can create a simple, emotional, and true story, in this case that's a David versus Goliath story, and there's a struggle in it which is inherent in that, and there's a challenge that invites people to participate in it, and that resolution is a successful business. Okay, let me ask you this question. In an age where we increasingly rely on our uh, iPhones and other electronic devices versus uh, uh, person-to-person communication, how do you get that message across? That's that's a a great question, and I'll tell you this. There's no shortage of people providing information, and most of it's crap, right? I mean, there's unlimited amounts of information on social media or Twitter or whatever it may be. And I think that still the best way to break through that is to to create to the degree possible a personal, emotional connection with you, your product, or your brand. Um, You think about even somebody who's famous. Well, there's a lot of stories about a famous movie star, for example. But when you have a personal interaction with it, that washes away all of these other things you may hear out in the media about. And it's the same way about your brand. Those individual contacts, those personal contacts that you have, you know, spread virally in the same way that social media does. And um, I'd say that just like you, you shouldn't be looking at your iPhone throughout a dinner with your wife because you know the kind of reaction you'd get there. It's the personal interaction that you have with her that actually lasts. Although I suppose if you were looking at your uh, iPhone, you might end up having a personal interaction with her you didn't like. <laughs> but the, the the idea is still the same, right? That you still, even in this world of information overload, it, those personal contacts and how you make them uh, really set yourself apart. Okay, Zach, we're going to bring in our next guest now because uh, Aaron Hollenbaugh is the Vice President of Marketing and Communications for Hostway. He specializes in developing and leading marketing and communication teams in high-tech and uh, cloud computing-focused companies. And uh, uh, I want to bring him in to kind of make this a three-way. Do you mind staying on? Zach? Uh, Aaron, are you there? Yeah, Aaron, is, I'm here, Don. I'm sorry about the mishap earlier. Oh, my. No problem. Uh, uh, we're hoping we can get uh, Zach back because he was really terrific. And uh, I thought uh, uh, he's a communication story uh, uh, person. I think he's back. Uh, uh, let's bring Zach back in, if you don't mind, Aaron. Are you there? Yeah, I'm Zach, here. Sorry about that. No problem. Zach, uh, we're just introducing Aaron. And uh, Aaron, uh, we always start every guest by asking them a little bit about themselves. Tell our audience a little bit about that. I thought we might have a nice little three-way and maybe learn a little bit about communications tonight. So so you go first. Go ahead, Aaron. I'm actually uh, Vice President of Marketing and Sales for Hostway Corporation, uh, cloud-based services company from services range from website hosting to uh, large-scale mission-critical application hosting for for, uh, organizations. Um, I'm uh, based out of Denver, Colorado. Most of my team in North America is based in San Antonio uh, or Denver as well. Uh, Grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. Have uh, spent spent my time in college in Iowa and spent a lot of time throughout the uh, the, the country uh, and living in different cities and, and really settled on Denver. Um, and I uh, have worked in technology most of my career. Well, uh, we we were talking to Zach about uh, how a small business can um, uh, uh, get across a message. Uh, a message, and you are in the uh, are in the cloud, and you're de- and we're all de- and uh, the reason I asked the, for us to kind of have this is. Um, uh, the cloud has now made us even more, in my view, further apart than we ever were. And uh, uh, I was wondering your thoughts on how uh, a small business can utilize the power of the cloud to better communicate uh, to its audience. To the to their. Go ahead. It's yours. 
Yeah, great question, great question. And, and I'll, I'll even follow up on the question that, that you and Zach were discussing a little bit earlier, too, whenever a company has its messaging, how do they get, how does a small business actually get that out to um, to their audience, and how do they get that out to potential customers or prospects? And what I think is interesting is, is the, the cloud, the cloud in its evolution is nothing more than what we called the Internet 10 years ago. It's basically just the evolution and transformation of the Internet overall. And, and I think what that's done for small businesses from a messaging perspective is it's it's it stopped the pushing of messaging. So for years in marketing and communications, all we've ever done is we've we've made a lot of phone calls, we've sent a lot of emails, we've sent a lot of postcards, we've sent adverts in, in the Sunday newspaper. We've done everything we can to push our messaging out. Well, what the Internet or even cloud has done today is it's actually it's, it's, it's done the inverse of that. So now people come to us for information. Right? I think small businesses and how they use cloud and, and how – um, they, they get their messaging out, is they make it available in online communities and forums on their own website, uh, within their own blog. And what we're finding in, in the Internet more and more, and, and consumers, consumers don't want to be, they're bombarded uh, by messaging. And we've, there's been all the studies about commercials and how many millions of times people are bombarded by messaging and not even knowing it uh, sometimes. Well, what we're finding now is the Internet actually puts the, the power of communication back into the user or the prospect or the customer and it allows them to find what they're looking for from us. And so my biggest advice to companies whenever they're wanting to communicate their strategy, communicate their brand, their service, et cetera, is just make it available. Make it available within your own website. Make it available within uh, – make it creative. Make it make um, e-books or information surveys and use that interaction. Just put it out on the web, and people will find it. And you've got to put it also, though, look for communities. So, for, for example, in cloud, a lot of times we're, we're really uh, trying to target developers. So we're going to make an ebook that we might have made available or a an infographic that we made available. We're going to post those in other people's blogs and ask them to share it within developer communities where they'll find that and link back to Hostway, et cetera. So more and more the messaging it's no longer about how do we get our messaging to people. It's how do we make how easily accessible is our messaging and our and our communication to individuals whenever they want to use our services. And in the cloud, the internet, et cetera, has really made that um, more uh, obviously more accessible, but the other thing too is cloud services like email marketing and um, and RSS feeds and, and blogs, etc. Also make it very cost effective for small businesses to use social media, to use the internet, to drive a lower cost per lead and, and a lower and a higher quality interaction than they ever could before by pushing messaging previously. Well, that uh, that's very interesting, Zach. Would you have any comment on that? Yeah, I think I think that Aaron raises outstanding points, and 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 he's discussing the mechanism, and I'm talking about uh, what's behind that mechanism and what that content should say. Um, the great thing about this equalizer of social media is that it does allow this very cost-effective way to reach a lot of people. Then the question is, is how does that information then stand out in a in sort of a flood of information? And I believe that if you can make a personal connection or you can allow some sort of emotional connection within what you put out, it's much more likely to have credibility and uh, have a viral component than it would be if you were just simply populating for population's sake on the Internet. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I could not agree more. And, I, and Zach, I heard you comment on that earlier about that personal connection. And, and that, that from a communication, from a marketing perspective, and heading sales for the organization, too, one of the things that I, I reiterate with our teams is that people do business with people. They don't do business with, with businesses. They do typically business with people who they form some sort of relationship with. And the Internet kind of puts this, this facade or, or this, um, this kind of – there's not that direct connection that you get through an Internet uh, relationship with someone. But whenever you start the process of, of a sales process or even a discussion in general – Remember that we've always got to keep top of mind that people do business with people, and they want some sort of emotional connection. And also remember, too, that you can bring that emotion and bring your personality to your content, to what you're producing, and, and really infuse that into your brand, into what you're doing. Because at the end of the day, we choose to do business with businesses now that we actually like. And I think that's a big change in business over the last several years. It's not businesses that previously it's just because everyone else was doing business with them or because it was the only provider I could find. Now you have access to provide any provider, so you choose businesses that you like. And so it's really important that, that the emotion and the connection that you can create as a person, that you do bring that to your content and the information you're putting on the Internet. And don't and get rid of all the uh, – David Meerman Scott calls it gobbledygook that you put out there and 
technical terms and words that no one understands or uses, but they just sound really good. You've got to be as real as you can be in your communication to really create that connection. And it's more difficult by far in, in written communication and, and even some of the uh, videos and demos and other stuff we can do on the web, but you've got to infuse your personality into your brand as much as possible from our perspective. Well, uh, um, you know, uh, do you have any comment, Zach? No, I, I, I think that we should. Okay. I mean, he hit it. Well, then let me let me throw a little bit of a curve at you. Our next guest is here to talk about Obamacare, and I'd like the two of you. And I think that the great one of the greatest communication um, uh, uh, obstacles or uh, challenges uh, facing anybody today is uh, Obamacare, pro or con. Uh, would you mind staying on and uh, joining in the conversation? No problem, Aaron. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, hi. Uh, Scott, are you on? Yes, I am, Don. How are you, Scott? I'm uh, doing very good, thank you. Uh, 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 let me introduce Scott Hathletz. Uh, he's, a, uh, he's an insurance person. Uh, I'll let him tell a little bit more about it from New Jersey. But uh, uh, and he's here to talk about Obamacare. And I just, as I listened to to uh, our previous two guests, I, it just struck me that um, uh, Obamacare and understanding it. I think the last statistic I saw is 68% of the American public still does not understand uh, the ramifications. But uh, I thought we might uh, have you, Scott, come on. You were going to talk about the challenges facing small business with it, and then we might have a round-robin discussion about how to uh, handle this communication. Because I know uh, next week is the first day of the exchanges, and uh, we have various um, people wondering about various things. So I'd first like you, to, Scott, to say a little bit about yourself, then say what do you think are the challenges, and then we'll go from there. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've, I've been doing this. It's, again, my name is Scott Hayfitz, and um, I've been doing this employee benefits for nearly 30 years now. Um, you know, I started off just myself. We've evolved now into 35 employees. We're in South Jersey, right outside of Atlantic City is our main office. We have a satellite office in North Jersey and a little office in North Carolina. Um, it's you know it comes down to in our field and what some what they, were, what they were talking about earlier you know service and communication you know is, is what it amounts to and education um, as far as um, and that's a little overview of, of the agency that um, that I now own um, as far as Obamacare comes um, you're Don you're, you're sort of the miscommunication and I guess, for lack of a better word, the sales pitch that each side uses is really confusing uh, the public. Um, I'm pretty in tune. I happen to be on the advisory board of Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. I do represent all the carriers. Um, we have 2,600 group clients in our office, so we're, we're pretty involved. We're members of NAHU, which is a national association of underwriters out of Washington, and another organization called Benefit Partners out of Austin, Texas. And this is where, Don, we're getting our direction from some, you know, we have four attorneys on retainer, and it's never ending the questions. Um, from what, when they wrote the law, I, I don't think anybody considered all the variables that were involved in healthcare today. Uh, I think that's part of the um, problem. Um, I was in Washington recently, and we were talking to a senator, and the staffer told us, we know, and this is somebody who was voted for Obamacare, we know there's problems. We don't want to bring it up. It's a hot potato. We'll put Band-Aids on it as we go. And this is some of the responses we're getting, you know, when we're asking questions about how to guide our clients and how to educate our clients. So there is tremendous amount of misinformation. Um, Don, we actually have people calling our office now asking for free Obamacare. And um, there's nothing really free about it, you know, depending on your 
income level. So that's how some of the people are perceiving this is going to play out. So um, I've written a book called Business Owner's Guide to Health Reform and Group Insurance. And in the center of it, it's, I have a, my wife made up a word called healthcare-itis. We made it a noun. And it says stress and anxiety symptoms suffered by business owners dealing with employee benefits and healthcare reform. So, you know, it's more important now than ever for small employers to have a consultant that is really ahead of the curve as best as possible because the answers change somewhat daily sometimes, what we get out of Washington. So in a nutshell, that's, that's kind of like what's happening in our world right now. Um, October 1st is around the corner. And as of yet, we don't even have rates in New Jersey for the exchanges, for the marketplace. So we don't have plan designs and or rates. So it's really hard, you know, and that's what are we, we're five days away. So, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. There's a million two uninsured residents in New Jersey. And... Open enrollment starts October 1st, and it um, ends for this million two, I think, March 31st. So in theory, that million two are supposed to be enrolled during that time frame, which obviously would be hard to do. Um, do you honestly think, do you honestly sorry, think uh, that a million two – People will rush to the exchanges on October 1st? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, the, the, the challenge, um, and that's the uninsured, the, the challenge for the business owner, for the small business owner, is, you know, they don't, do I keep my group insurance or do I just drop it and kind of have the employees fend for themselves and go through the marketplace? Um, there's tax ramifications when you go through the, the uh, process with a business owner that they might not be considering. Um, it might not be less costly to go through the marketplace. In fact, most of the time we run the analysis, it's not. It depends on the, you know, the, the um, salaries of the employees of that particular company. So Now, that's an interesting point. A lot point. of confusion. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You're saying that uh, even uh, uh, it's possible that a company uh, would actually uh, be better off keeping the insurance than not keeping the than than letting their employees go off. Yes. Yeah. Um, if, if if an employee buys insurance through the marketplace, it's with after-tax dollars. If an employee is in a group plan and they're contributing towards the premium, it's with pre-tax dollars, which, which, you know, is obviously an advantage, a tax advantage for an employee, in addition to the FICA that the employer and the employer is saving, so because it's pre-tax, so it might not make sense with, when you add the tax ramifications in. Huh. In addition to, in addition to that, if an employer is offering a plan where the employee is paying less than 9.5% of their W-2 and the plan meets minimum essential benefits, if the employee goes to the marketplace, even if they're eligible for a subsidy, they don't qualify because the employer is meeting those two, um, those two criterias. Well, let me interrupt you here, and let me go back to Zach for a moment. Uh, Zach, uh, um, uh, and, and you, you work with the Obama administration. Um, it, it's got to be one of the greatest communication challenges, uh, of, certainly of this century. What advice would you give the, uh, the people at HHH and IRS at this point? Well, I'll tell you that that what they're doing I think that's unfortunate is that they're still putting out information that's just data overload and, and the facts really aren't resonating with people. In fact, HHS released a study today uh, uh, that the White House press released 
that showed that overall, state after state, the people are going to see their premiums decline. Uh, the average cost of a, a working family with an income of about $50,000, they could pay less than $100 a month for the entire family uh, for the, the lowest, what they call the bronze plan after tax credits. But these kinds of facts just aren't sticking, and I think people, there's so much misinformation about it. They need to go back to more on the individual storytelling of whom this will help. Some of the most compelling testimony that occurred during the debates, if you remember, were the 22, 23, 24-year-olds that would be able to stay on their parents' plans, those that had everything from asthma to cancer, you know, pre-existing conditions that uh, would no longer be able to get booted off of, of health care plans as a pre-existing condition. Those stories have fallen totally in the wayside as we talk about premiums, cost, numbers, coverage, uninsured, and no one really cares about stuff like that uh, from a long-term cognizant standpoint. I mean, we need to go back to how does this impact the average person? What difference does this make in the average person's life? And for many of us, like myself, it has uh, actually coverage through the government. It will have actually no impact at all as far as on my care. But for those that I deal with as an elected official, which I am now, and for indigent care, this will have a significant impact on improving the quality of life for some kids that have never seen a doctor, for some people that have never seen a dentist in their life, some people that are, I mean, we're talking basically people that are just consuming emergency care now uh, that are in some of the worst health situations. Finally, they're going to have an option associated with it. And we're not telling those individual stories, and I think HHS needs to do a better job of doing exactly that because, like I said, this has been a, this is a very unpopular thing when described in the aggregate, but when these individual issues are described, when individual stories are told, they poll very well, which shows that people are, are connecting with those individual stories. Okay, let me go to Aaron for a moment now. Uh, 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 Aaron, uh, I'm going to assume that you're kind of an outsider on this, unless you know, your company's been... Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yep. Okay. Um uh, I assumed you're kind of an out, unless your company's been involved in any of these. But uh, uh, we're going to make you the layman for this, uh, 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 for this, uh, uh, for purpose of this talk. How do you see it, or how is how is it, uh, uh, it impacting you, if at all? The 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 one word that describes my feeling towards Obamacare, right or wrong, at this point, is apathetic. Um, and I think that goes a little bit to the story to what Zach was just talking about as well. I know that it will have some impact on myself, on, my, on, on our business, on our customers' businesses. Um, but the truth of the matter is there's this information overload, and we were talking about earlier getting too much information out there that, from my perspective, I, I'm very apathetic towards Obamacare. I'd have really, I really don't know much about it. I've, you know, I followed it closely initially. It was, it was interesting hearing Zach's perspective. I did follow it closely whenever I heard the stories of college students and others that I, I wasn't so far removed from myself. But at this point, there's so much information out there and so much uh, conflicting stories and information, and, and it's still a political battle that, that has somehow been, been turned, that has become policy, but we still hear that it's battling every day. So from my perspective, I, I choose... To, to let it hash itself out and figure itself out, which is which is very dangerous in any democracy. Uh, but at best, I'm extremely apathetic towards Obamacare at the time, and I think a lot of Americans are. I have to tell you, Aaron, that's one of the best comments I've heard, and I've been following this for a while. Thank you. Scott, can we go back to you? Sure. Um, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're, you've got the floor. No, I was just going to say, um, some of the comments that Zach uh, brought up, um, you know, I agree with and, and my clients agree with. Dependent age 26 was, was a, you know, really helped a lot of people out, especially with unemployment the way it was and still is in some parts. Um, no pre-ex, no pre-existing conditions, very good thing. No lifetime maximum, very good. Um, it happened to be in New Jersey. We already had that, so that wasn't new to us as much as some other states that I do business in. Um, so that wasn't a major change in New Jersey. But they, they are tremendous benefits. You know, as far as what Zach brought up is the pediatric dental, that's a mandate and the vision mandate in small groups, we're looking at probably about 25, adding to the price 
and this is the rate, 2497 for the pediatric dental, that does not include the vision, and three per family, depending on how many children you have, on top of your premium. So that, that is additional cost. Yes, they have it, um, but, you know, it's not free. Um, what I think another benefit was is that they increased the poverty level in New Jersey. So if people are making 133%, which is $15,282, they're eligible for Medicaid. But even that's not free. They still have to pay 2% of the 15282 towards the premium. So, so, but it is a tremendous benefit, but it's not free. So um, I think the, the miscommunication, I was in North Carolina on business last week, and like front page of USA Today had that rates are going up 1% on average. And I'm like, if you read through the whole article, you know, the last paragraph was, well, that's because employers are increasing employees' contributions, and they raise the deductible, so they lower the cost of the product. And that's how they came up with the 1%, but the headline didn't say that. So... You know, I, 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 I feel um, that Main Street is going to have a rude awakening when the, cost, the true cost comes out with this. Um, I call it a hidden tax, Don. There's about 4% that the carriers have been levied to help fund Obamacare. That's just getting passed on to the middle class because the middle class is not really going to see the subsidies. So to me, that's a backdoor tax, a hidden tax, whatever you want to call it, that's happening to the middle class. My calculations are, Don, that the person, anybody about 27.5, between 27,000 and 30,000, that's probably your break-even number. Anything under that, they probably are going to get some relief depending on tax, tax consequences, you know, if the employer is paying or not. Because, again, if the employer is paying more than 9.5% of their W-2, they're not eligible for the marketplace anyway. So most of the work I've done, but it's not totally accurate because I don't have premiums yet. But based on what I do know, that's kind of like the break-even I've been telling my clients, that when you have employees that their salary ranges somewhere around twenty to 27000 the marketplace might be a place to go. But then you have to take the other consideration, the tax consequences in the consideration. And, you know, the more you make, the lower the subsidy. So, you know, I, I do think there's absolutely things that were, that were beneficial, like Zach mentioned. But I, I don't see in New Jersey, I can't speak for all the states, that the rates are coming down because of it. Oh, uh, you bring up an interesting point. Let me go to Zach. Zach, do you think the media doesn't quite understand uh what's happening uh i actually think that that the um that some of the health policy people within the administration should could do a better job simplifying it and i think that they that they have as time has gone on but maybe it's almost too late in some respects and i think uh you know to aaron's point that maybe in some respects you just need to let it play out because there's so much misinformation or confusion uh even among the grassroots level that i think that People need to recognize this isn't going to be. This will be sort of like a Y2K. October 1st is going to happen, and the world won't end. And uh, people will still have health care, and others will will be getting health care through an exchange or through the county. However, they end up trying to figure out how to do it. Uh, but it's not going to be uh, the you know the the doomsdayers on one side aren't going to be right, and and those that think that all of a sudden utopia will be hit with health care reform also won't be right. Um, I do think though that the media could probably do a little bit better job. Remember, it's policymakers' job to inform the media, not the media's job necessarily to just simply uh, do everything on their own, to highlight these individual stories as being told, you know, in New Jersey, I mean, about those these individual stories. And then also it's fair to highlight some of the challenges to have an honest thing. I do think there's been a disproportionate amount of arguments about the challenges over the last couple of months and not the benefits, but I think that's, that's uh, like I said, uh, maybe a little bit of a failure on those that should be providing those better stories to the media. 
Well, in defense of the media, I'll only point out that uh, uh, the essence of news is conflict. Um, but let me go back to Aaron because we're closing down on our hour. And Aaron, you came on to talk about one thing, and we've kind of pushed you to the other side. So I'm going to give you a minute to talk about your company and what it does uh, and how people can reach you. Yeah, absolutely. appreciate that, Don. And uh, we don't offer any health care advice, um, typically, but we do offer uh, – we, we do actually have a, uh, a compliant hosting package for those that need to be HIPAA-compliant small businesses. We really run the full IT continuum. We have a full portfolio of services that kind of meet the, the small business and, and their continuum of IT needs and services. So from picking your business name and, and getting a domain name registered and website registered to website hosting – and then uh, from there, we, we also manage hosting infrastructures for some of the world's largest companies. And, and we're managing their mission-critical applications, their CRM systems, their ERP systems, um, and also offering uh, backup and, and recovery services uh, for them as well. So, Aaron, could I interrupt you one second? Yep. What are CRM systems and what are uh, – you said two terms, and you guys know, <laughs> but small business people like me don't know them. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, CRM stands for uh, Customer Relationship Management, and CRM tool. So a good example of a, of a CRM tool is like a Salesforce.com, where you're actually entering into a tool, um, the uh, your contact, your customer information, and you're managing that relationship from a from a system. It's relatively similar for uh, inter for uh, businesses as an ERP system, which is enterprise resource planning which is kind of like a, a cross-functional enterprise system uh, that, that kind of integrates a lot of internal systems and processes uh, and, and product management and inventory management for companies as well. Okay. Zach, uh, um, uh, if they want to reach you, Aaron, first off, if they want to reach you and your company, how do they do it? Yeah, absolutely. It's hostway.com. Um, they can also find us on any of the popular social media sites. Um, and my email is, is fairly easy. It's Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at Hostway.com. Say it again. Hostway, H-O-S-T-W-A-Y.com. And then it's Aaron at Hostway.com. Okay. Um, uh, Zach, you want to have any final thoughts on how people can get the, your book? That'd be great. So uh, my book just came out. It's, it's titled On Message, uh, How a Compelling Narrative Will Help Your Organization Succeed. And you can get the book and contact me directly if you have any questions on my website, which is zachfriend.com, Z-A-C-H-F-R-I-E-N-D.com. I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to be on the show tonight. And Aaron and, and all that we're on, I, I learned a lot from the other guests as well. well Scott, uh, any final thoughts on how people can reach you? Sure, Don. And I just want to thank you for your time and thank Aaron and Zach um, for their time also. Um, it, my email is sr and my last name, which is H-A-F, like in Frank, E-T-Z, Hafitz, at srhafitz, the same thing, dot com. And if anybody would like a free book, Business Owner's Guide to Health Care Reform and Group Insurance, um, and Does Your Consultant Have the Cure?, um, I'd be more than happy to mail them a free signed copy of my book if they just email me. Or if they have any other questions of anything I mentioned during the show, please just send me an email. Well, I want, anybody else want to make a comment? I just want to thank the three of you. I know you guys didn't come on thinking that this was going to happen, and I didn't know it was going to happen this way, but I think it sure, it, it sure helped our listeners, and I want to thank you for your ability to go with the flow. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Well, all right. Uh, that's a sign-off now. My, my engineer is uh, cutting everybody off, and I just want to say uh, uh, to my audience, I think we've had a very interesting uh, night tonight. Um, I, and I want to point out that we're here every uh, Wednesday night, and but we're also available as an archive. All of our guests are invited because they, uh, they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. And I certainly think that happened tonight. 
Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. Uh, you can uh, find this and our other media on smallbusinessdigest.net. If you like uh, what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email us at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. Again, thank you and good night.